Well, let's bow our heads together. Oh, God, speak to me that I may hear. Uh, speak through me, or even in spite of me, that we all may hear. And having heard your word afresh and anew today, make us not just hearers of it, but doers. For it's in Christ's name we ask. Amen. So the topic today is Jesus is being baptized in the River Jordan and our baptism. I brought a picture with me, you know, if you'll put it up. When I visited last October of, well, no, two Octobers ago, of the Jordan River, it's not much, is it? That's at the non-flood stage. And it kind of is the division between, well, Syria and Israel and the West Bank of Palestine and, and, um, and um, Jordan as well. And it's uh, much disputed territory, and yet just a simple river that flows down out of the mountains, through the desert plain, and into um, the Sea of Galilee, and further on down into the Dead Sea. And that's where John was calling people about 20, 15 miles outside of Jerusalem to come out and to hear his message about needing God in their life. Lord, I need you, as we sang, and telling them to to repent, to turn back towards God from their own ways, and doing this ceremonial washing called baptism in the Jordan River. And it was refreshing, no doubt, in the desert. Let's talk about it today. Before we do that, um, I hope that you noticed in the bulletin that we will be doing a baptism this Wednesday outside, yes, I'm going into the waters. Uh, behind Barry and Cheryl, Cheryl Pillow's house, there's a pond, and we're going to baptize one of our youth there. Uh, the information's in the bulletin. Please come if you can. It's, uh, it's going to be a big moment for her, her 16th birthday. Um, anyway, uh, Alicia Holt's baptism this Sunday. No, this Wednesday at 4 o'clock. A few things about Jesus' baptism and about ours that are important for us to hear from the text. And, and one of those is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The outpouring of the Spirit upon Jesus that day in a way that people noticed it. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. Now Jesus was baptized and the scriptures say, though he was without sin, he became sin at the cross so that ours would be crucified there and laid to rest. Jesus was not there in the River Jordan being baptized because he was of sin, but rather because the fullness of who he was, God himself, needed to be displayed to all that were there and all of Israel. God's Spirit rested upon Jesus in a way that without any shadow of a doubt, people that witnessed it said, that's God's Son. And then they heard the voice. My Son of, of whom I am well pleased. Did you notice Jesus referred a little earlier when He was preaching before Jesus got there about the one that was coming? I'm not the Messiah, He said, but one is coming. And what does He say? I'm not, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. 
and with fire. And he's talking about, of course, the Pentecost experience after Jesus, his ministry and his death on the cross and and being in the tomb for three days and Easter rising from the grave. That day of Pentecost when Peter is preaching and, and the Spirit of God swept down upon the church, the people, as if they were speaking in tongues of fire, Acts says. The Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit for us, is one of the things that we cherish and value about baptism. It's one of the reasons we bring our children to be baptized in the church. Whether they're youth like Alicia this week or whether it's an infant that is in its first months or years, we want the Spirit of God to be a part of that person's life. And what more powerful and more beautiful way to witness that and be reminded of that than through baptism. We were talking about in my exploration class today for newcomers about John Wesley. And one of the things that was particular about John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, was his spin or his explanation of God's grace in our lives. And we've talked about God's grace before, that undeserved, unmerited uh, love and presence of God with us. John Wesley said that grace is prevenient. That's the word that he used. Prevenient, meaning that His grace and His presence are experienced in our lives even before we know who God is. Isn't that amazing? It's a powerful thing to think that God is already showing up in our hearts and our minds and in our lives even before we have an understanding of who He is. And you may experience that. I know I have. Um, it may be evident through a, a conscience. Of, of knowing right from wrong, even if you don't know God. It's evident through the need for love that we all have been created with. It, it can be felt, that prevenient grace through, through our need for God in our lives as a, as a child or as a youth. A, a great French mathematician and physicist, Blaise Pascal, who also was a, a Christian writer, wrote this one time. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man or each person which cannot be satisfied by anything but only God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. Jesus, in His baptism, reminded us and calls all of us to remember our baptism and know that God's Spirit fills our hearts and our lives in a way He would not otherwise to its fullness. Another way of understanding Jesus' baptism in ours is, is as our identifying with Christ in our lives and through His work. As I said earlier, when, in, in verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as He was praying to heaven open, Jesus was there with the people, going out with the people who had great need and a great yearning for God in their lives. And that's one of the things that we know about Jesus and that we are reminded of through His ministry over the years is that He was there for the people, with the people, when they had great need. And He was willing to meet it. Jesus went out to the desert that day, I think, so others could see that He was the Son of God, but also to go down into the river with those who were broken and hurting and guilty 
and unrighteous in God's eyes in their Jewish understanding of things. His presence there was a gift of grace. And His presence in our baptism is a gift of grace as well. Well, if you are a comic strip fan, um, I think I've seen it once or twice in syndication since it quit running. But there was a a comic strip that appeared in the papers for about 15 years, 1980 to 1995. Gary Larson, um, who was an artist, but also had a morose sense of humor and also had a love for animals, created a comic strip called The Far Side. It was one of my favorites. Here is one of my favorites of all time. I have calendars uh, of each of these. Noah, if you would... Uh, put the next image up, Noah. You see the deer? And it says, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. And he's got a target right on his chest. Wow. That's just classic Gary Larson, classic far side to make you think in ways you wouldn't have thought about um, anyway. Yeah. I love that one. Funny, but also it has a point. And it is a birthmark. Yeah, one time I was teaching youth, and this was at UMYF, Danielle, like on a Sunday night meeting some years back. And I was using birthmark as, as a teaching point. And I showed him my birthmark, which I'm not going to show you today because, well, I'm layered. But it's on my elbow. And so I showed it to him, and I, I asked around the room, who else of you has a birthmark? Well, you know, a couple of kids raised their hands. Not everybody has a birthmark. But there was one boy, it was not enough for him to just raise his hand. He was apparently very proud of his birthmark, and so he jumped up, and he peeled off his shirt, and he showed everybody his birthmark on his chest. And everyone was pretty taken aback. And I was like, dude... Sit down and put your shirt back on. I wanted to know if you had one. I didn't want to see it. He was very proud of his birthmark. Well, what we need to hear today is that, that all of us, by our baptism in Christ Jesus our Lord, have a birthmark upon our hearts. And it's a birthmark that is in the shape of a cross that represents forgiveness and grace, and it's a birthmark in the shape of an empty tomb which represents life that is abundant and everlasting. All of us have a birthmark by our baptism. We are marked as children of God, worthy of God's love in our lives, righteous, though we may sometimes not live up to that. We all have been baptized or those of us who have been baptized, know that we are marked and we have to cling to that some days, don't we? Yeah, it's a reminder to us that God claims us and chooses us as His children, but more so it's a reminder to us that, that we are God's children and we're loved and we're forgiven and we're set free and we're allowed um, to live into that love and grace. There are days that we must cling tightly to our baptism to remember whose we are and who we are at the very core of our hearts. Because there are struggles that we're going to face. 
There are adversities that are going to come our way. And our baptism reminds us, though we may not feel it at the time, that we are firmly within God's grasp and touch. There are going to be temptations that we have to, to give in to finding our identity in our wealth and in our possessions or maybe in what we can do in, in our jobs or uh, to help other people or in our possessions, what we amass in this life or even in our sexuality to have our identity there and instead our baptism reminds us, no, you are not a child of this world any longer. You've been baptized. You've been watched and filled with His Spirit and you have His birthmark upon you that you are forever a child of God. Well, the last thing about baptism that we see from Jesus is, is that it is our initiation into the faith family. It is the entrance that we partake of into the church. Jesus would lead all of his followers uh, to come after him. And one of the ways that they did that was by going about and preaching his message to others, but also by baptizing people in Jesus' name. And the baptism that we receive in and through the church has been passed down from generation to generation. And it is a gift that continues on to this day. Now, I know organized religion is on the way out to this day and age. There is um, just not much stomach for it, especially among younger generations. But, but the sense of spirituality is still there, and the desire and the draw to connect with God and to feel touched and filled up by God is there. And it is through baptism that most powerfully we are reminded that we are God's children. The institutional church is important so we can join together for worship, so that we can do great things for God and in Jesus' name for the glory of God. But it's not the end all and be all. Our baptism is most important, our initiation into our family of brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It doesn't matter if we sit here with one another and if we greet one another on Sunday morning. Beyond just this group here, we have brothers and sisters in Christ the whole world over. In Asia, in Africa, in Europe, in Australia, all around the world, there are people who have been baptized in Jesus' name of all stripes and denominations. And we are forever a family of faith in one. And there's great power in that as we participate in the body of Christ together. We are the body of Christ still present in the world today. One of my seminary professors was Fred Craddock who has been gone a few years now. He was a funny little short man with a very high-pitched voice. I know I've told you about him before. He was a master storyteller, Fred Craddock was. He was uh, quite a preacher, powerful one. And I remember him telling the story and later read it again in one of his books about a church that he pastored in the southwest corner of Oklahoma before he he went into teaching about preaching. 
The community was Custer City, Oklahoma. Jamie Lockhart, have you ever been to Custer City, Oklahoma before? I would not doubt that. I would not doubt that. Well, when Fred Craddock was there, it was a farming community. It was about 450 people, so it was small. There were four churches in town, though. And as Fred Craddock would say, if you divided that up evenly, that would be 112.4 members per church. But, of course, things don't work out so mathematically and, and so exactly. One of the bigger churches, Craddock said, was every Sunday morning at the local breakfast cafe. There was a crowd of people that, that gathered there, hardworking folks, farmers that, that weren't bad people and they were good to their families and they did all the right things, uh, but they wouldn't go to church. And the, the main guy that had been there the longest at that church, as Craddock called it, was a 77-year-old man named Frank. And when Craddock came to the area to serve the church, he introduced himself one day to Frank on the town square there on the streets and said, Frank, I'm, I'm uh, Reverend Fred Craddock from the Disciples of Christ Church. And, and Frank told him quite bluntly, Craddock wrote, I don't have any need for the church, Pastor. I love my family and I work hard and I try to do right by God, but all the rest of that stuff that y'all do is just fluff. And so Fred Craddock just continued on and, and would introduce himself again a time or two. Well, when Frank became 78, one Sunday he showed up at Fred Craddock's church. And at the end of the service, as Craddock was given an invitation to come forward, Frank Frank came forward, surprising to all people that were there. And, and Frank said that he wanted to be baptized. And so Dr. Craddock said, okay, we'll, we'll set that up. Is next Sunday okay? And he said, yes. And the people in town, oh, they talked. You know how small towns are, right? They, they said, oh, Frank must be sick if he's going to church because he's never done that before. Or they said something bad must have really happened in Frank's family for him to try to reach out beyond. Is he dying? Some people questioned and asked. Dr. Craddock met with him the following week to get him ready for the next Sunday for his baptism. And he said, Frank, do you remember telling me the first time I introduced myself to you that, that everything about the church was just a bunch of fluff? Frank said, yes, I remember that clearly. He said, what changed? And Frank explained it to him. He said, Reverend, I really didn't understand what I was talking about because all along I thought that my life was about, about me and my family working hard and doing what we needed to do. And that was that. But one day in reading my Bible, I saw where Jesus told a man that that it was more important to love and serve God first and love and serve others second. And why I guess that means that I'm third instead of first. And so I figured that I needed to come and to be baptized. And just like that, Frank made his primary business in life the thing that Jesus calls all of us to do through our baptism which is to be his disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ, loving God first and others second in his name. And everything else takes care of itself by the grace of God. 
And it is because of that attitude and that approach in our faith that the church serves and does great things for people for no reason other than to show God's love. Isn't that a beautiful thing when people come together to pray or to serve a meal or to help others that are falling on hard times and not able to buy food? It almost makes you think that when we do those things faithfully, that that, that, that voice rings out from heaven that was there for Jesus' baptism that says, these are my children. And with them, I'm very well pleased. Very well pleased. My prayer for us as a church and as people of faith is that we will take seriously this birthmark placed upon us by the, the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit and the indwelling of it as we accept the gift of grace because it is by that that we are saved and that we will help to change and to save the world in His name.